0: The crux of the whole thing is that you're evangelizing the problem, not the product. Okay, that's the key. And if you are innovating, you must be evangelizing.
1: Hello, and welcome back to SaaS Half Full, the only show serving B2B SaaS marketers. I'm Lindsay Groper, president at Blast Media, and I will be your host and bartender today. I recently sat down with Ethan Butte, the chief evangelist at software company, BombBomb. You might be asking yourself, what's a chief evangelist? I asked myself the same thing. It's much more than just a hype man or a hype woman for your brand. And Ethan's going to dive into exactly what this title entails and when you might know it's time to hire a chief evangelist within your own SaaS company. So sit back, relax. Pour yourself a drink and join me as I speak with Ethan Butte, Chief Evangelist at BombBomb. Ethan, welcome to SAS Half Full. I understand you are joining us from lovely Colorado Springs. Really appreciate you taking the time. We are going to tackle today making the case for a chief evangelist inside a SaaS organization. Ethan is going to talk to us about when it makes sense, maybe when it doesn't, when you know it's the right time and who the heck makes the right candidate for this type of position. But before we dive into that, Ethan, I do want to give our listeners an understanding of who you are. Uh, so if you could give us a quick overview of your role as chief evangelist at BombBomb, and then why does BombBomb exist? What you guys do. Sure. Yeah. So uh, again, title is Chief Evangelist. We'll get into
0: how we arrived here. And I think that answers some of the things you're teasing already. I think an evangelist can look different in a lot of different organizations. It's a lot of taking things out into the world, getting feedback, interacting, bringing what you're learning back into the organization, still operating within the context of the senior leadership team every day and every week. And then just working that inside out so that the way we view the world, offering something that is not common or normal or normalized yet, that we have this constant give and take so that we know the reality of the situation. I'm spending a lot more time on LinkedIn than I was, say, two or three years ago. And so that's a quick snapshot. And again, I'm at BombBomb. We're a software company, legally founded in 06, go-to-market was 2011. And our whole goal is to help you get face-to-face more often with the people who matter most to your success. And so We do that through easily recording and sending video messages. There's so many instances where you're entrusting your most important and valuable messages to a form of communication that doesn't differentiate you, doesn't build trust and rapport, doesn't communicate the tone or intent as clearly, and ultimately leads to missed opportunities, confusion, frustration, et cetera. And so I'm of the mind that basically anyone working in a professional capacity, could benefit from having a habit of going to the record button now and then instead of exclusively going to the keyboard.
1: And for clarity's sake, this is not competing with or replacing what we all know now and with Zoom, um, if that's what we use or Teams. And these aren't scheduled video conversations. This is in my my day-to-day. I'll take, for example, when I'm following up with someone, when I'm sending information, when I'm maybe reaching out for the first time, you're saying to use that form of visual video communication in those instances.
0: Yes, and just a quick language piece, and thank you for adding that. This is synchronous versus asynchronous. We all learned very quickly if we weren't doing it commonly already, whether it's with Zoom or Microsoft Teams or Google Meet, synchronous video, especially during the pandemic, we had to come up with the next closest thing, and that's live synchronous video. What we're talking about here with video messages asynchronous video, recorded video messages, recorded at your convenience, and then provided to one person or 10 people or 10,000 people. And each person opens it up and experiences you in person when it's convenient for them. So synchronous video takes us outside of distance. We can get together with anyone, anywhere in the world who has an internet connection and a camera, as long as you agree on the exact same time. Video messages take you outside of time and distance where, again, you're just unbound. It's just this little human in-person moment to add clarity or provide some context or demonstrate sincerity or enthusiasm or gratitude or some of these other real rich human elements that are so difficult to convey when we are stuck with plain black text on a plain white screen.
1: Perfect. Thank you. As you know, uh, I drink on this show and we did send you a cocktail kit. Do you recall what we sent you because it had a very funny name? Yes, it is the Creole Sling. The Creole Sling. That sounds awesome. Are you sharing a drink with me today or are you saving that for later or did you already drink it? I have it. I'm going to make it virgin and I'm very
0: excited about it, even though I don't have the proper equipment.
1: That is all good. I am at the office today and I do have to go take my kids to their annual checkup after this, but I'm staying true and I am having a truly, which is probably the easiest thing that I can possibly drink at this time of day, knowing what I have to do next. Um, But I appreciate it. I, I love when our guests have their cocktail kit and make it. I do want to, Ethan, go through a little bit of your history while you're making your drink there and give our listeners a bit of insight into how you got into B2B SaaS. Has this been a long journey? Was this an unintentional entry into this field? What was your story? Highly unintentional. I built
0: my career running marketing inside local television stations. So, I ran teams of writers and producers and editors at television stations in Grand Rapids, Michigan, in Chicago, and out here in Colorado Springs, where I am now. And I knew I was done with that for a variety of reasons. Primarily, I think if you're in sales or marketing and you are not in love with your product or your problem or your customers, you're doing a disservice to someone who should be in that seat that actually does care about some or all of those things. And so, for me, I was just bored of it. It's highly cyclical. I didn't feel like I was growing anymore. I had you know, tried out and flexed skills and developed skills in four different organizations that had different unique dynamics to them. And so I started doing project work with a variety of organizations. I was also working on an MBA at the time. And what I was trying to discover was, what do I actually like doing? What skills have I developed over the past dozen years that are transferable? What will people pay me for? You know, these kinds of things. And so I had met, when I moved out here, I had met the two co-founders of BombBomb uh, socially and I started doing project work with them and I just liked who they were. I liked what they were about. I thought what they were doing was interesting. I was coming from this very formal video and I was seeing this movement, kind of like rise of Web 2.0, the rise of social proper you know, it wasn't like this kind of background thing anymore is really coming into its own. And so this blend of my video shooting, writing, editing, but a lot of that was highly transferable. And so even though I left quite a bit on the table to join a company that had six employees and I don't know, maybe a hundred customers at the time. It was just the right fit for me. And I've just grown with the organization. The opportunity that I found myself in today is something that I've grown into as the company's grown, as our customer base has grown, as our product has matured, et cetera. And so it's been like a long, steady, slow thing that a decade ago I never would have seen myself guesting on a show like yours, having a conversation like this. But you know, I think a lot of the best things can be characterized that way.
1: And I totally agree with you when you said, if you're going to work sales and marketing in-house, you better love it. I literally had coffee earlier this week with a very bright young woman who is interested in PR and she had made the comment around you. I, It intrigues me to work, you know, work in-house at a large company. And I said the exact same thing. I said, yes, it could be really interesting and super cool, but if you take an in house PR job at Colgate, you better love oral health. Like that, that is what you will be living and breathing and doing. So you better really think about what type of company. And it's what I love about what I do in agency life because while we exclusively work with B2B SaaS companies, B2B SaaS touches everything. So we are working in every industry under that umbrella. And that's exciting to me. I would be very selective if I went in-house because it would, to your point, have to be something I'm very engaged in. Absolutely. So let's dive into chief evangelism. I went to the interwebs, did a little Googling. And when you type in what is a chief evangelist or chief evangelist at a SaaS company, there were similar words that many different definitions, and I came away with, all right, it's either a hype man or hype woman for a brand, or a what what used to be a, maybe a company spokesperson, but there really wasn't a a clear consistent definition. So, would like to start with your definition and build from there.
0: Okay, I'll start really simple. I do accept kind of the hype piece of it in a way. But the key thing here, and the most important thing that anyone should be thinking about, whether you formally appoint someone into the role or whether you divide this, typically this is something that, you know, if it's a young company, the founders are sharing this responsibility just kind of by default. I think as we get into this conversation, people who are curious about this will say, oh, we're, we're actually already doing some kind of evangelism. The crux of the whole thing is that you're evangelizing the problem not the product. Okay, that's the key. And if you are innovating, you must be evangelizing. And by innovating, I mean you're either solving a problem that didn't have a solution before, or you're solving a known problem in a way that's truly unique from the other solutions that have been available to date. And in this way, you're essentially, there's been a lot of buzz around category design or category creation too. This kind of fits in that zone a little bit, as does community building, frankly. I see those kind of as three legs of a stool, so they all interrelate. The idea is we need to create awareness that this is a real problem with a real opportunity about it. And so when I go and deliver a presentation, I'm not saying, hey, here are the three steps to you know, using BombBomb successfully. And these are the three main use cases. And this is how you use BombBomb in Gmail. And this is how you use BombBomb in Zendesk. I'm going out saying some of the things I already opened with, which is, hey, do you know that every single day, you're trying to communicate some important and valuable ideas and you're falling short just on its face because the medium that you're choosing that has become perfectly culturally normal is emotionally impoverished. There's a different and better way. Let's talk about that. It's not still Bomb Bomb's not in the conversation video messages, right? We all know how to get on Zoom. Uh, We all know how to get on Microsoft Teams or whatever it is to be live. We've all seen people go live on social media and that's cool, but let's set that to the side. We've all seen video on homepages of websites. That's cool, but let's set, set that aside. We're not talking about video marketing. We're talking about building relationships through video. We're talking about identifying times throughout our day when we're better as ourselves than we are when we get intellectual in our heads and to our keyboards. And so even then, I could give a two hour presentation on jumping from here without ever mentioning the company name once. And so it's all about when you're evangelizing in in a space that is based in innovation, we need to reach people with the problem and opportunity, not with the product. Go to market for us was 2011 and we're not venture backed so we're not throwing, you know, tens of millions of dollars around um and so people are like gosh I can't believe you've been around for a decade I'm like well you know we had some quiet years there of like hardcore learning and growth and learned to grow on our own revenue and so through that time we learned a lot about what the pioneers were really struggling with and where they were successful and all these other things and as the first and only marketer inside the organization for a period of time I was the holder of a lot of those stories and a lot of that learning. And then as a consequence, a lot of that teaching, which again is the kind of the foundation here for evangelizing the problem, not the product.
1: That notion of focusing on the problem, not the product is one of the pillars of good marketing Um, when it comes to your website, when it comes to your content, until someone gets to obviously a certain stage of the funnel when you, you do turn product focused. And
0: or the market is so well understood and defined that it really is about nuance. And like there is a point where feature differentiation or philosophical differentiation that leads to a different product experience, or again, kind of like a minor change to the solution to the shared and known problem. It's like how do we talk about the differences between Salesforce Marketing Cloud and Eloqua and HubSpot and Marketo and Pardot, you know, like how do we split all these, you know, related things? How do we split them all apart? It's not, let's talk about marketing automation, unless it's you're thinking about marketing automation the wrong way or some of these other things that start getting philosophical and then lead into this is how and why we do things differently.
1: When you'd said earlier and I agree with this, that typically you think that the CEO or founder is leveraged as that chief evangelist. They are the thought leader, the spokesperson. How do you differentiate then the role of the, let's say, CEO as the thought leader and the chief evangelist? How do those work together and how do you figure out swim lanes and who's responsible for what? Personalities
0: will really dictate how this goes. It turns out that our two co-founders, they both are out there a little bit, but Not the same as some CEOs that have guested on your podcast or mine, right? They're actively, aggressively out there doing that. These guys are more, you know, in the business, leading teams, asking provocative questions. They are still getting together with other leaders of other similar organizations. You know, they are still looking out to the future. They are still communicating in town here um, where we are in Colorado Springs and in other communities that aren't geographically defined that are important to us but they're not the types of guys who prefer to be on that panel with six other leaders in this space, kind of advancing the way we look at the world kind of a thing. The way that I wound up taking on this t- title and role and responsibility was um, I reached out to a guy named Sangram Vajray, co-founder at Terminus. I'm an account-based marketing platform. And I proposed to him that I interview him on his own show. I was like, Hey man, you're 300 episodes in, you've built a great community and you have all these great guests, but people don't really know about you. And I think you're a really interesting dude. I propose, I host you on your own show and ask you about your title chief evangelist. And he also at some time called himself the accidental evangelist. So like had this kind of piece to it that was kind of interesting. And I I proposed, he's like, I'll do you one better, find three other chief evangelists and I'll run it as a four part series, including interviewing him. And so it was in that, that I developed this kind of multi-point argument for when or how you would have a chief evangelist as opposed to having the evangelist duty split. And that was one of the things that came out of these conversations, four hours of conversation with, in total with four different chief evangelists. It was this, you're probably doing some evangelizing or if, if something is happening in the market that says like now is the time and you really need to hit the go button, but everyone is still like deep operating in the business, appoint somebody to do that. And that person is almost always, all four of the people I spoke with, and I would fit this bill as well, were very early in the business. So one of the guys was David Spitsky. He was the chief evangelist of Alexa and Echo at Amazon. And he was the first employee in voice years ago. And so like, he was the guy. He was there for the origin story. He knew the people that started developing the first apps in that ecosystem. He was the one to first work with marketers to develop the first marketing applications of that technology, and then bring that back into the organizations. If you have personality types and skill sets of early team members, whether co-founders or not, that lend themselves to doing this work, then you're going to split the responsibility and you're going to have three people that are actively and intentionally evangelizing the problem rather than the product. And if you find yourself in a circumstance like we were in where well, we kind of have everybody doing it and kind of have nobody doing it. No one's doing it with a foot on the gas. We had a lot more competition move into our space. Over the past four or five years or so, a lot of it was backed by tens of millions of dollars from some of the most name brand VCs that we all know. And so it was, we need this, you're the guy, because we don't want to just split it and kind of do it a little bit by default.
1: It doesn't sound like your co-founders were also raising their hands super high, saying, "I know, I want to be this person." Right? This is me. Right. They had their own skills. Like typically, if you do have those co-founders or founder who, whether they're an introvert, they're just more focused on the business or the product. uh, Maybe they're more product engineering founders versus you know business. Is that then often defaults to a VP of marketing or a CMO to be a spokesperson? And what we have found is. Unless you're a Martech company, most, and I'm talking about the media, but most members of the press don't want someone in marketing as the spokesperson because they feel like they're going to be messaged. They feel like they're going to get the canned responses and the appropriate responses. And so it it only really works if you're representing marketers um, as a Martech brand. But so this chief evangelist, it does allow for a chief title outside of marketing. Because I was gonna ask you, what are some indicators that you should look at, a chief evangelist? And you answered some of that with the type of co-founders that you have if no one's raising their hand. But I'm curious, you said that that those that you spoke with that were chief evangelists had history with the business. Is that you think required for a chief evangelist, someone who was there from close to the beginning, who has Been with the brand over time? I do. I think that depth
0: of familiarity and intimacy, like that was actually one of the risks. I mean, the two interesting things. One thing you provoked there was this idea that they don't want to talk to this figurehead or the spokesperson who's got all the canned and pat responses. So I wind up in a lot of circumstances like, am I Ethan Butte as a person who's done these things and has this perspective and has written these things and talked to these people? Or am I? a representative of the company. And so that line gets a little bit blurry because you are, again, like, I am certainly operating on behalf of the company, but I'm willing to go well beyond that in order to have a productive conversation to help people get to some understanding or get to some point of even transformation. I don't think you can carry the level of understanding and credibility. I don't think that you'll have the trust within your organization having someone out on a limb like this, because it's difficult to measure my success. Some aspect I mentioned this in the beginning, some aspect of my job is generically what is in an old fashioned term would be called like rainmaker, you know, like that salesperson who's like the pre-sales person. Like that's part of what I'm doing, not by design, but that's just what happens when I go out and share these ideas is people then want to follow up. And so, but it's How much pipeline am I directly responsible for? I have no idea and it's not a charge of mine, right? And so this you have to be comfortable operating outside of clear measures. None of these guys that I talked to had specific KPIs. Sangram himself made up some of his own and then over communicates that with the leadership team and with the board of directors so that they have this only reason he does it. He does it probably because this is nature, but... In addition, it's to have that trust or to close any potential gaps of trust between him and those other folks so that they know this dude's out there working, he's working well, he's achieving things, and he's working on behalf of our collective interests, even though he's often going out more as Sangram Vajre than he is as representative of Terminus, you know, an account-based marketing software company that you should subscribe Two or whatever, right? The more depth you have in the organization, so not necessarily measuring it by tenure because experience is not the same as expertise. I'm leaning more toward the expertise here and the depth of intimacy with the product, with the leadership team, with the operations, most importantly, with the customer and with the problem. It takes work to do that. It takes time to do that. It takes specialty to do that. And I think when you have that nice combination of credibility, authority, understanding, a deeper level of curiosity. You can't answer that fourth layer question that comes, you know, whereas a lot of spokespeople stammer and get stuck at the first follow-up question. Like you can go four or five deep because you've been there. And this is the key piece. Again, you have the trust, and this is something I have, you have the trust of the people around you. So even when you're working in kind of an amorphous situation that lacks kind of the clarity of a lot of other roles in the organization, they trust that you're working well, working smartly, working on behalf of the organization and producing results, even if it's not the most obvious thing to see.
1: And I love, Ethan, that you are, of course, passionate about BombBomb in this role that you are in, but you are very passionate about this topic and making a case for having a chief evangelist and helping define what that looks like and the importance of it. So much so that you, uh, it's inspired you to write a, a couple of books. I know you said, Oh, I don't want to be overly promotional. However, you do have a book coming out soon this fall in October called human centered communication. So I do want to hear about this. Tell us about the book.
0: So Steve, who is our chief marketing officer, I've worked with him side by side for years. He was the one that said, after I did this series of podcasts with these chief evangelists, he was like, we need a chief evangelist. You're the person to do it. Went and sold the idea. I was like, uh, okay, I guess I'm doing this. And by the way, a uh, quick note here, I did shed my direct reporting. That's an interesting thing too. So you're like, you've got one foot in the business, one side out, like kind of a free agent inside the organization. And as a free agent, I can... Generate a lot of my own work that I think is necessary and appropriate. And one of those was to write a book, which I did a couple of years ago. And then I co authored that with Steve Passanelli, again, CMO. And he had an idea mid last year, which was we were deep in this idea. We know that video is not about video, video is simply a vehicle, it's a means to an end. And so we were having these internal conversations about what are we really doing for people? And it's something that we like to revisit very consistently. And we arrived at this language of human-centered communication, the idea of applying the principles of human-centered design to our daily digital communication in order to be of better service, better value, to get better results in the short term, and to overcome some of the storms that are already present with us in the form of digital pollution and the consequences of that. It's too nuanced to get into the guts of, except to the degree of follow-up questions. So Steve and I decided we know that video is not about video. Video is about you and the other person or the other people. It's about connecting and communicating when you can't be present in person in the next best way possible. So how do we do that more often despite the channel? So this is not just about video messages and video emails. It's about video presentations, video calls, about one-on-one meetings like ours right now, et cetera. And so we thought... While we're going wider, let's go ahead and bring in nearly a dozen of our expert friends. So we brought in folks like customer service and customer experience expert Shep Hyken, Dan Tire, who's a sales guy from HubSpot, part of the original founding team there, Matt Sweezy from Salesforce, Lauren Bailey, who's a founder and president of both Factor 8 and Girls Club, two of the co-founders from Vingresso. Like We just reached out to people that we knew who had a unique perspective and expertise, many of them are using video messaging. And by the way, this goes to another one. Like if you are evangelizing the problem over the product and you're doing things like producing webinar series or writing books featuring multiple people, a couple of the people in the book use BombBomb, most of them don't. The majority of them are using as a group, the majority of them are using competitors of ours. But it doesn't matter because it's about helping people be more effective in their role every single day. What you have here is a breakdown of what digital pollution is. We can all identify it. It's anything that frustrates and confuses and annoys us when we're spending time in digital, virtual, and online environments. It could be as casual as that group text message that you wish you weren't in or that group LinkedIn message or that reply all email chain that no one needs to reply all to. That's kind of innocent and annoying. On the other end, you have the worst offenders, which is ransomware, cyber attacks, malware, phishing, et cetera. And then in the middle, you have this big fat group of behaviors that have become normalized in business culture that tend to value quantity over quality. As a consequence, we tend to dehumanize the people, both on the sending and receiving end of those messages and experiences. And we think there's a really important conversation to be had there because The tactics that got us here will not get us there as people and increasingly algorithms become much more sensitive and aware of what they want to give their time and attention to and what they don't. The path to long-term success is in putting other people first and taking a more human-centered approach to digital, virtual, and online spaces. So that's what we're exploring. It's helpful for people in a variety of roles, but specifically in Revenue roles, especially sales, customer service, customer success, customer support certainly affects marketing. And there's a lot to be learned for leaders, managers, in terms of how they're structuring their teams, how they're structuring their people, how they're structuring their systems and processes
1: human Center Communication comes out October of 2021, so be sure to check it out. Ethan, this has been awesome. As we end every episode, I always ask my guests if they have a signature or favorite toast to send us out.
0: First and foremost, thank you. This has been super fun. I appreciate the Creole Sling, which, by the way, is cold brew coffee, cinnamon and vanilla infused maple syrup, orange bitters, and what's the other element? I forget. Uh, chicory pecan. It's been amazing. This is delightful. And even without the whiskey, it's like way over the top. And I feel like I'm a crazy jacked on caffeine and sugar right now. One of the things I, I often say is I'm glad you're here. And in this case, I'm glad to be here. But you know, I think it's easy to overlook with all the opportunities that are in front of us and the way that we're challenged with ways to spend our time and energy. It's lo- It's easy to lose sight of what I think matters most. I don't know why we're here and we don't need to get into that conversation, but I think a key part of it is to be in relationship with other people. I think it brings us to life, even introverts such as myself. We are meant to be in relationship with other people. And so I am always glad to be present with or to be virtually present with and to be in conversation with people. I appreciate the opportunity to spend this time with you.
1: Well, Ethan, I am glad you're here as well. And I will certainly drink to that. Thanks again to Ethan for joining me on Sass Half Full. He was mixing up the Creole Sling Kit. It was a very fancy looking drink and we can get you a drink as well. If you head over to shakerandspoon.com forward slash half full, you'll get 10 bucks off your first cocktail kit, which will be delivered directly to your door. How cool is that? Really appreciate the listen. As always, we'll see you next time. Thanks and bottoms up.